Okay, just to clear things up, that is not real. I do not have a new cologne coming out. It's a body spray. No, I, uh, you know, I went into the, to uh, meet to do a video with Justin and Kendall, our, our videographers, to, you know, promote our, our Super Bowl throwdown. And they said to me, hey, while you're in here, hold this perfume bottle like this. I'm like, okay, now smell it. Okay, what are you guys doing? Trust us. What, like Christmas, like Home Alone? Trust you like that? Yeah, and if you didn't get the joke, they were making fun of books I've written. So that's, that was a joke. And if you missed last weekend, you know, on all our campuses, our campus pastors did this throwdown uh, Super Bowl preach-off, faith, faith versus works. And if you didn't see it, go see it. It was, it was really fun. It was a lot of... Uh, a lot of good fun. And today we're together <clears throat> joining us with all our campuses. Uh, I want to especially uh, welcome Pflugerville to their new location in Concordia High School. Way to go. Got moved in over there. But we're all together today because we're tackling an even more confusing subject than faith versus works. You know, there are some confusing things in the Bible, right? Um, you know, Christian parochial students were asked to uh, write down what they understood about the Bible. So these are, you know, students going to parochial school. And it just shows how confusing the Bible can be. <clears throat> Here's what they wrote. In the first book of the Bible, Guinness, Guinness is a beer, not a book. God got tired of creating the world, so he took the Sabbath off. <laughs> Actually, you know, there is a book, God and Guinness, but that's different than Genesis, the actual book. All right, another student said this, Adam and Eve were created from an apple tree. No. Another student, Noah's wife was called Joan of Arc. Those would be different millennia. Lot's wife was a pillar of salt by day, but a ball of fire by night. <clears throat> Throughout history, the Jewish people had trouble with unsympathetic gen... Genital. No, that would be Gentiles, not genitals. Moses went up on Mount Sinai to get the Ten Amendments. The first commandment was when Eve told Adam to eat the apple. No, no. The seventh commandment is thou shall not admit adultery. I think it's time to post the Ten Commandments again, all right? Jesus enunciated the golden rule, which says, do one to others before they do one to you. And the people who followed the Lord were called the 12 decibels. One of the opossums was St. Matthew, apostles, who was a taxi man. <laughs> and the epistles were the wives of the apostles. No, they are letters in the New Testament. All right, so some things in the Bible get confusing, probably none more than what God has revealed about himself called the Trinity. And that's what we're going to wrestle with today as we do this series, Reframing God. You know, because we can't really learn to love God if we don't really understand who God is. It'd be kind of like this. Imagine if you're dating someone, all right, <clears throat> or back when you were dating, and you're falling in love. Maybe you're even having thoughts of marriage. And, and one night after dinner, you ask, tell me what it is you love so much about me. And then say you're, you're a woman and it's the guy and, and he starts telling you all the things that he loves about you. And as he does, your stomach is dropping because you're realizing only about half of it's even accurate to who I am. 
Like he says, you know, I, I love you because I love how crazy you are about doing adventurous things. And you're like, I am terrified of adventure. What are you talking about? And he says, I, I love how into cooking you are. And you think, I hate cooking. I cooked once for you because you like it. And then you, you, he says, I love how curious and creative you are. You go, okay, good. You got one. <laughs> and, and, and then he says, and I love, I love the way you're so into sports with me. And I, I tolerate watching sports or I'd never see you all fall. And the more he talks, the more you realize you don't really love me. You love an image of me in your head. It's about half accurate to who I really am. Now, let me ask you, if that were true, how loved would you feel? Not very, right? Because love actually seeks to know and accept the person for who they really are to love them as they reveal themselves to be. Same is true with God. You know, if we're gonna be people who really love God, which by the way, is the first of the 10 commandments, we have to know who God says he is. You know, Jesus said this in John four, but the time is coming, <clears throat> indeed is here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. See, what God desires, just like anyone who is in love, are hearts that long to connect with him in, our, in spirit, in our spirit, and as he really is, in truth. Now, there's mystery to this of who God has revealed himself to be. You know, Moses says in Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things of the Lord our God uh, belong to us. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and our children forever, that we may follow all the words of God's law. What this tells us is not everything has been revealed. Some things are still hidden. Some things are still mysterious. And it's important to realize as we start to try to reframe God, because here's the deal. If you understand everything about God, God is finite. That God is an idol, an image in your own finite mind, because God is infinite. He transcends what we can fully understand. So even as we reframe God, we've got to leave room for some mystery. And without a doubt, this idea of Trinity is a mystery. And it raises confusing questions. Like, is the Trinity found just in the Old Testament or in the New Testament as well? And are there three gods or one God? And how is three and one the same and not a logical contradiction? And why is the word Trinity never even in the Bible? And was Jesus fully God? And if so, when God was crucified, who was running the universe? And if God is only one God, then why Father, Son, and Spirit? And what's the difference? And how do I relate to this triune God? And these are tough questions. And that's why I'm going to leave them all for your campus pastors to answer next week. No. No, we're going to try to answer as many as we can. But we're going to have to do some theological off-roading to get through it all, okay? So buckle up and try to stay with me. First, God is revealed as one God in both the Old and the New Testament. And, and by the way, for those just starting to explore faith, I want to explain the Bible isn't one book. It's more like a library. It's a compilation of 66 books written over a, 
by 40 authors over a 1,500-year period. And I want you to keep that in mind because the very fact that this idea of Trinity is maintained rather than resolved or changed across 1,500 years of sacred history in itself, that's a miracle. So Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, starting with Guinness, I mean Genesis, which recorded pre-Israelic history up to 2000 BC, up to 4,000 years ago. Then 2000 to 1500, Abraham and Sarah are called to start the Jewish nation for all nations. That's what God said, to bless all the nations. Very important, this God alone is the God who has always been speaking to all the nations. Now in time, the nations began worshiping idols, false gods. They started giving into fear. They started doing destructive things like child sacrifice. And God reveals himself to Moses and the Israelites when he leads them out of slavery. And God up on Mount Sinai, not Sinai, gives the 10 commandments, all right? But more importantly, he makes a relational covenant with the nation of Israel. Here's what he says in Deuteronomy 6. Hero Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these commandments I give you today are to be on your hearts and impress them on your children. God is one and love is what God wants most. And the first commandment, which was called the Shema, uh, it was the creed of Israel, is that there's only one God, love God only. And by the way, this was like welded into the heart of every Jewish kid, every Jewish person. There is only one God and you are to worship only that God. And Isaiah, the prophet, repeats this in 680 BC, uh, where he says, I am the Lord. There is no other. Apart from me, there is no God. I will strengthen you. And he's talking to King Cyrus. Though you have not acknowledged me, so that people may know there is none besides me. There's one God, and this God claimed to reveal himself in actual history to prove he was God. Like in this case where he writes down beforehand that he's going to lead King Cyrus, this Persian king, to rebuild Jerusalem, and then he actually did it. And we've looked at Many, many examples of how God over history has verified in history, written before, to verify God is real. And he has revealed himself in, in real history. And you can go on our website and watch some of those uh, if you're just exploring faith. But God is love. And God wants to be loved for who he is. And who he is is one. And that theme is carried across the New Testament as well. Jesus' last prayer. Now this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And Jesus affirms this one true God and tells people worship and serve God only. And then Paul in the New Testament reiterates this. He says, uh, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no God but one. So here's the first big idea. There are not three gods. There's only one God, but revealed in three persons. Okay, that's the big idea. There are not three gods, only one God revealed in three persons. Now, it is true. The word Trinity never appears in the Bible. Trinity is a word that theologians came up with 
to describe what is revealed in the Bible for 1,500 years but never explained. Okay? So there is mystery that God is revealed uh, in three persons but one God and that this is consistent for 1,500 years across 40 different authors, right, who didn't even understand what they were writing. That, again, is miraculous. But let me show you uh, the Trinity appearing across 1,500 years of sacred history. In Genesis chapter one, so God created mankind in his own image, male and female, he created them. Right here, there's a plurality of relationship that reflects the very being of God. Do you see that? Not just male, not just female. Male and female together in relationship with the creator reflects the image of God. God is love, which means God is relational. But before God created, who did God love? God the Father loved, God the Son loved, God the Spirit loved, God the Father. And see, God is loving relationship at the very core. We've been created to be invited into that loving relationship. All right, but isn't the Trinity, this whole idea, isn't it a contradiction? How can three persons be one God? Well, it's not a contradiction, but it is a mystery. And there are other mysteries. There are lots of paradoxes that are not contradictions. For instance, if you're familiar in science with the double slit experiment, I'm not going to get into it a lot, but basically light behaves as both particles and as waves, and yet that can't be. It can't behave both as particles and as waves. And weirder still, what determines whether it shows up as particles or waves is whether a person is watching it or not. That's why eminent physicist Richard Feynman says this, the quantum double slit experiment puts us up against the paradoxes and mysteries and peculiarities of nature. So the Trinity is not the only paradox or mystery, but it's not a contradiction. God revealed himself as three persons, yet one God, from the beginning of human history. 2000 BC, Yahweh appears in the form of a man to Abraham and Sarah to tell them that, that they will have a child that will create a nation that will bless all nations. It says in Genesis 18, the Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre. Abraham looked up and saw three men. Now many times in the Old Testament, Yahweh, this one true God, appears as a, a, a man or what's often called the angel of the Lord or messenger of the Lord. Now we know this, this angel of the Lord is different than other angels because other angels reject worship, but this angel of the Lord actually receives worship as Yahweh. Theologians believe this is the pre-incarnate Jesus. Isaiah makes it even more clear, writing in 680 BC, so almost 700 years before Jesus, saying, a great light will come to the region of Galilee, the very place Jesus lived and taught. For to us a child is born, a son is given, the government will be on his shoulders and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So this Messiah to come is gonna be called Mighty God and yet be born as a child and worshiped. And then to make it even clearer, the prophet Daniel, writing in about 500 BC, has a vision of heaven, and he says, In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was, 
one like a son of man. Remember that little phrase, son of man. Coming in the clouds of heaven, he approached the ancient of days, God, and was led into his presence, and he was given authority, glory, sovereign power, and all nations and people of every language worshipped him. What? Worshipped him. Worship. There's only one God. Worship God only. What is this Jewish prophet doing writing about this son of man that Yahweh will give all authority to so all nations will worship him? It's a mystery. But it's Jesus revealed thousands of years before he ever came. And by the way, son of man was Jesus' favorite phrase referring to himself. Like when Jesus said, the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Or like when Jesus took Peter, James, and John up on what was called the Mount of Transfiguration. Remember, and Jesus showed his glory and they said his face became brighter than the sun, right? By the way, those who have had near-death experiences who experience the Lord say he was brighter than the sun but not hard to look at. And then as they're coming down from that experience, Jesus tells them, don't tell anyone what you've seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Clearly, Jesus identified himself with this person in Daniel who is equated with the one true God who receives worship. Okay, so hang on a second, you say. If Jesus was the one true God, then who was ruling the universe when God died on the cross. Atheists love to ask this question. But we need to think harder about this. Okay, so you and I are finite. We exist in three dimensions of space and one dimension of time, right? But our astrophysicists tell us there must be unseen dimensions to reality. Why? Well, because Einstein's general theory of relativity perfectly explains the macro, how, how galaxies and planets and, and time, space, gravity, all that work. And, and quantum mechanics perfectly describes how the micro works, but the two theories don't work together unless there are unseen dimensions to reality. And they've mathematically proven this. So if our scientists are saying there are dimensions we don't see, then by way of analogy, maybe we can start to understand the Trinity a little better. Now, let me just say, every analogy of the Trinity has its flaws, all right? So you've heard people say, well, the Trinity is like H2O, you know, water. H2O can exist as, as steam or as solid or as liquid, but it's one substance, H2O. Well, that, that may help, but it breaks down. This analogy will too, but it helps, helps me anyway. So think about it this way. If I am a creator and I create a flat world, this table, and, and, and it's two-dimensional, okay? So the people I create can only move forward and back and side to side. They can't even conceive of up or down. It doesn't exist in their world. A third dimension doesn't exist. Now, if I choose to reach my arm into the plane of their existence, they're going to see a form of me like this. Take a look. So it's like this 3D image slicing through the plane. Over on the left is what they see. They don't see the 3D me. They just see a slice of me showing up in their world, right? And then if I, if I in intersected their world with three fingers, they would see three slices side by side like this like this, 
like that. <laughs> Three slices of me side by side. Now, what if I said to them, but look, I'm not actually three slices. I'm only one being. Well, that would be a paradox in their two-dimensional world because three circles can only exist side by side. They can never stack up my arm into one being. You see? So it's a paradox to them, but it resolves in higher dimensions. So somehow three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, must connect up in higher dimensions or beyond all dimensions as one. That person, personhood connects up as one in the, in the form of the one true God. Isaiah foretold Jesus as God's arm reaching into humanity. Who has believed our message, Isaiah 53 says? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And he was pierced for our transgressions when the nails were put into him on the cross. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. By his wounds, we are healed. See, Jesus was like God's arm reaching into humanity to pay for our sins on the cross. But look, when death killed Jesus, it's like taking the slice of me out of a two-dimensional plane does not take away me. I... I transcend my two-dimensional image. And the same was always true. God transcended Jesus' human body. That's why the book of Hebrews in Hebrews 1 says, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation in our three-dimensional world of his being. So Father and Son, what about Spirit? Well, not only do we see Father and Son mysteriously revealed across 1,500 years of sacred history, but God's Spirit is there from the beginning. It says in Exodus 31, Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezalel. I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom and understanding, with knowledge, with all kinds of skills. And then probably the most clear of all three uh, I'm sorry, most clear where all three, Father, Son, and Spirit, are alluded to is Isaiah 63. There are many others, though. I'm just going to show you a few. Isaiah 63, again, written almost 700 years before Jesus came. God said, surely they are my people, children, implying of a parent or a father, who will be true to me. And so he became their Savior, the Son. In all their distress, he too was distressed, and the angel of his presence, again the Son, saved them. In his love and mercy, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old, yet they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. See it right here. God the Father longs for children who will be faithful to him, but then we're not. And so God the Son comes to, to save them, to set them right with God. And by his Holy Spirit, he, he is with them. He cares for them. But then when, they, when we rebel against him, it grieves his spirit. Father, Son, and Spirit, right here in the Old Testament. And notice something. The Spirit is not the force. Spirit is not an it, but, but he, a person who, who loves, who can be grieved. The Holy Spirit is a person. All right, so this is a lot of theological content. How, how do we practically use this to relate to God? Well, it gets confusing. You know, sometimes you might think, well, 
I can't think about three and one at the same time. Who should I pray to? Who should I think about? You know, I, I, I don't know, <laughs> right? And here's my pastoral wisdom. Don't stress about it. God understands our limits. He does. And start with what you can relate to best, right? But then as you grow, grow your understanding to, under, to try to wrap your brain around the mystery of God as well. God the Father loves you better than any mother or father ever could think of, Jesus said. And God is good and gives good gifts to his children better than we can give good gifts to our children. And God the Father is infinite and eternal, all-powerful, a faithful provider. If one of his children ever gets lost, guess what? He doesn't stop searching until he finds them. And when they turn and they come home, he runs to them and embraces them like a, a father and he throws a party to celebrate. Jesus said all this about the Father. Do you need to be reminded that God is a good parent, powerful, sustaining the universe? You're safe in his arms. His plans are perfect. You can run and find comfort in his arms, protection, love. That's the Father, the one true God. Or maybe right now you need to think about Jesus, the one who shows the unseen God in a form we can relate to, right? He shows us that the unseen God gets us. And mystery of all mysteries, this God united himself with his creation for eternity. Think about that. Jesus became a human and his resurrected body still exists. God is still connected to humanity in Jesus' resurrected body for eternity. Why? Well, because he wants us to know. He gets us. He's called our brother. He's called our closest friend. He's been there, done that, right? He was tempted in every way you've been tempted. He knows the struggle is real. He has compassion. And he suffered in all the ways we do. He paid the ultimate price so that you could be forgiven, healed, and you could walk with God through this life. Do you need a friend, a God who understands and helps you in your time of need? That's Jesus, the one true God. Or maybe you need God's spirit. Not a force, a person. Equated many times in the Old Testament with wisdom, which is also often given a feminine personality. Now again, God is not male nor female, but both together reflect something about the image of God. But in the Old Testament, we see this, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom. And then it says in Proverbs, do not forsake wisdom and she will protect you. Love her and she will watch over you. The Spirit is God's very, very presence with you. God's power in you to guide you into wisdom and in truth, Jesus said. Jesus said God's Spirit is given to empower you to talk to others about him, to produce fruit of love and joy and peace and kindness and goodness and self-control in your life and to remind you you're never alone. Is that what you need? God's Spirit, the one true God with you always. God is one. And the truth is, even though each person of the Trinity plays a unique role with us, you really can't separate them, which is confusing. But it's what Jesus alludes to his last night on earth. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Why? Because if you really know me, you really know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him. You have seen him in Jesus. 
If you love me, keep my commands, and I'll ask the Father, and he'll give you another advocate to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. He lives with you. He will be in you. And I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. On that day, you'll realize I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. They are one. Yet in three persons, we see perfect love, perfect unity and diversity. We see the very definition of love. You know, Crystal is a friend of mine that I interviewed for Imagine Heaven. Um, She had a very rough life. Her parents divorced when she was young. She was sexually molested by a babysitter from age three to age eight while her mom would be at a party getting high upstairs. And this kept happening. Her, Her stepdad was alcoholic and abusive. And then, you know, he left. So Crystal struggled with this idea of God as father. She rejected that. But Jesus... She liked Jesus. She could relate to Jesus. He was a man. He had suffered. He came to save us. So at age nine, Crystal got baptized for faith in Jesus. She wanted Jesus to save her. And she did, she said, feel cleansed from all of the the shame and the dirty feelings that that the abuse had, had provided in her life. But then when the abuse started up again, she didn't understand. And she got very angry at God, convinced that if he did exist and he didn't love her, he wasn't with her. And she said she spent her teen years in rebellion, breaking all 10 of the 10 commandments. But then at age 33, Crystal went into the hospital for pancreatitis, had complications, and she coded. No heartbeat for nine minutes. Listen to what she experienced. I left my body for nine minutes and went to heaven. I was aware of a being on my right and instantly I knew who this was. And what overcame me was a profound, endless desire to worship this being. For I knew immediately I was in the presence of God. I'd always referred to God as a him and I guess I always will, but the being on my right was not a him or a her, it was just God. Nor did I make any distinction between God the Father, Jesus and the Holy Spirit. They were all one, the one, Before me now, there was just a blinding profusion of brightness. And I wasn't so much meeting God as recognizing him. I already knew him, and he knew me. And I'd spent my life doubting his existence, disbelieving his love. But in that instance, I knew God had always, always been there, right there with me. And in that moment, everything made sense to me. There was another sensation. I wasn't just aware of God. I was feeling him. His radiance wasn't just something I observed. I was overwhelmed in every sense I had. I was completely infused by God's brightness and his love. And I wanted to enter into this brightness and intertwine myself completely with it. I felt a miraculous closeness to God, but wanted to feel even closer. This was the creator of the universe. I was in his presence, the sheer ecstasy of it, the beauty of it, the joy and the grace, the way my spirit soared and my heart burst, how I wish I had words to convey. With every fiber of my existence, I wanted to praise God, and I wanted to do it forever. And what drove my praise was the intensity and immensity of my love for God. There is simply no other love remotely like it. God is love. And God already loves you more than you can possibly imagine. 
You are his beloved son. You are his cherished daughter in whom he's already well pleased. If you've just turned your heart and accepted what he's done for you through, through Jesus. And knowing God's love makes us want to love him back. That's what you'll one day realize fully. But as you listen to this from Ricky Echeona of our South Campus, I want to encourage you just to invite God's love to fill your heart. Listen.